the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth. It was because here in this land, we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. It is indeed, and good morning to you. Thank you so much for joining us. It is the 11 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock on a Tuesday. It is the sixth morning of the sixth month of the year of our Lord, 2023. Yes, I will remind you that it is Groom 6th, not June 6th. We will have some discussions of that today. But, of course, it's a little bit more of an important day in a historical context. And historical uh, doesn't necessarily mean that it's solely outdated and from the past because we continue to enjoy everything we have. In this glorious republic today, because of what was done on this day in 1944, on the 6th of June in 1944, uh, the liberation of France began, and the liberation of Europe began, and the liberation of the entire world began, and the heroes uh, of that day will never be forgotten, never be forgotten. And, you know, somebody pointed out to me last night, too, just very briefly, um, D-Day began on June 5th, in all reality, because the arrival across the channel of the troops to storm the beaches 
was predated by a period of hours of the airborne uh, drop to try to get behind the German lines and the the, the Nazi lines, if you will, uh, and prep for the arrival and to try to take them from behind. Of course, we all know that the drops were disasters, and anybody, I shouldn't say we all know, anybody who's been paying attention to this, we've talked about it at length with Bill Federer, historian Bill Federer, with Chris Long, who we're going to talk with a little bit later on this morning, but um, the paratroopers in, in the Airborne Division who dropped uh, behind, that started the obvious campaign uh, to take France, to cross the English Channel and to take France and, and of course, move move uh, uh, all the way through to Germany. Uh, so, technically, D-Day is June 6th, but in reality, it started on June 5th. So, to all of those uh, family members and those who remember and and uh, revere uh, those who those heroes. You know what I put? I, how I described it this morning on my my Facebook page when I put a photo up there uh, just commemorating D Day. It's like a real life superhero movie. I, I have pictures of superheroes storming the beach. It's it's you know you watch all these Marvel Avenger movies and they were our Avengers. They they the only difference is they were mortal. They they didn't have superpowers, but they acted like superheroes anyway. They saved the world like superheroes do. That's that's kind of one of the best ways I think I can phrase this to make it a little bit more understandable. Uh, in in this in this era of you know Hollywood and and movie making, oh my gosh, you cannot turn around without two new um, superhero movies being being uh, produced. Whether they be Avengers, or they be you know the DC comics versus the Marvel comics, and uh, you know the Spider Verse thing just came out. All this, the superhero, superhero, superhero. It's just a massive, massive time for that uh, genre in filmmaking, and it just kind of caught me. What do superheroes do? Well, generally speaking, they're tasked with nothing smaller than saving the world, and of course, they do it in the fictional world. In the real world, we had real life superheroes who knew they were going to die, who knew that they were putting their lives on the line. They are not bulletproof. They can't fly. They can't uh, regenerate. All the different things that the various superheroes do didn't apply, but they acted like superheroes anyway and said, we have to save the world. And that's what they did. And that's why we commemorate it this day. And we should do it every day, but certainly on the anniversary of every single year until the end of time. That is what should be done, because the world was saved by uh, those superheroes. So at any rate, I mentioned Chris Long. He's going to be joining us in about uh, 20 minutes. Uh, He is in uh, Washington, D.C. right now. Of course, you know, last year I accompanied Chris and uh, so many of the other extraordinarily important members of the team that were were able to get the D-Day prayer added to the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. It was a passion project of Chris Long's. It was some 10 years in the making. And uh, I was honored and blessed to be asked to emcee that event in Washington and uh and I enjoyed it immensely. And uh, now this is the first D-Day commemoration since the prayer has been in place and opened to the public. So uh, Chris is in D.C. for a ceremony this morning that starts at 10 a.m., but he is going to join us at 9.35 a.m. to talk about uh, what this means and what this should mean to all Americans about the day the superheroes, say, uh, le- the first day of a campaign 
to save the world. So Chris Long will join us at 935 at uh, 1010. It is Cursinow Day, as it is a Tuesday. I know you're excited about that. And coming up at uh, 1110, we're going to talk with historian uh, Peter Jeddick, who's got a, he got an interesting piece published in Newsmax TV's uh, news magazine. Um, about his own D-Day story. It covers the prayer project that we're discussing right now, but he also has a story to tell about his own father and his own heroics uh, in that day, So, or on that day. So we're going to talk to Pete coming up at uh, Pete Kirsten out at 1010, Peter Jeddak, my friend, at uh, 1110. Uh, what do you say before we get started? We rise as the patriots that I know you are, and uh, face your flag. Put your hand on your heart and join us for our Pledge of Allegiance. If you uh, do not respect that flag, if you do not do not respect the Constitution that it represents and the republic that it represents, well, then, you know, like the rest of the Democrats, you can go ahead and take a knee over there next to that unemployed quarterback. For the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right, uh, so it's nine seventeen. I want to, um, I want to start with this story. It's not a long one, but it's just a, it's one of those jaw dropping ones, right? Uh, University of Cincinnati, a uh, sophomore. At the University of Cincinnati is going to lead our show today because she is leading uh, a lot of national discussions uh, across the country right now because of a paper or a project rather that she did for her gender studies in pop culture class um, <laughs> that was given a zero because she used an un- unacceptable term. She used an unacceptable term according to the professor. What unacceptable term would it be that forced the professor's hand to giving her a zero, not even take off a point or two, but just can't do that zero? Did she use a curse word? Did she use the N-word? Did she use the F-word? No, she didn't. What word did you use, young student? I got a zero on a project proposal in my class because I used the term biological women. Wait. Wait, what? You used the term biological woman in your project proposal and got a zero for that? The term Did I hear you correctly? Biological woman? I got a zero on a project proposal in my class because I used the term biological women, which is apparently not allowed anymore. She even said it was a good project proposal, um, but I got a zero because I used this term that's exclusionary and not allowed anymore, so... And I 100% know that this is like the most biased grade ever because my project is about transgenders competing in biological women's sports. Her entire project is about transgenders competing in biological women's sports. It's a gender studies class. If you're going to study genders, first of all, I cannot believe that class exists, much less majors in it at various schools. If you're going to have a, a course on gender studies, don't you have to recognize all the genders? And in reality, the genders would be two, male and female, men and women. But if you are going to do a gender studies course, you believe that there are multiple genders, okay. But still, one of them has to be biological women, right? Dr. Uh, Everett Piper has been on this program a number of times, 
in the last couple of years talking about how they are literally attempting to erase women, erase the category of women, to erase the gender of real women from existence. And, you know, sometimes, you know, it might sound hyperbolic. It might sound like that's exaggerative, but it's it's not. A University of Cincinnati student got an F, a zero on her project because her, her name is Olivia Kroltzik, I think I'll pronounce that. She's a chemistry major at the University of Cincinnati. She posted her video on TikTok last month. It's becoming viral now. It's received over 400,000 likes and 2.8 million views. And she got a zero for using the words biological women. According to the student, the professor left a note. She actually put uh, put a photo of the note she got from the professor uh, to prove it. So in other words, she brought the receipts, as the saying goes. Um, the professor described it as a solid proposal, but the terms biological women are exclusionary and not allowed in this course as they further reinforce heteronormativity. Well, there it is. The movement that is trying to groom and trans American kids cannot have anyone pushing or advancing heteronormativity, even though heterosexuality is indeed normative. It is normal. It is natural. It is the basis of all living things, males and females, union, procreation, offspring. That's how it works. Hetero is normal. And they don't want hetero to be normal. How are we going to pull kids in if we're teaching them that what they have to become is not normal? Or the the trigger term here, abnormal. She said the professor later emailed her saying that the terminology was also transphobic. So recognizing that real biological women exist as biological women is transphobic, according to a professor who is receiving Lord only knows how many thousands of dollars of, of Ohio taxpayer money to teach at the University of Cincinnati and to tell a student you get a zero if you actually acknowledge and reference biological women. Now you ponder that for just a minute. It's 923. We'll be right back. Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Nine twenty-seven. So um, let's uh, let's stay in Northeast Ohio here for a moment. Uh, well, not that the Cincinnati story is Northeast Ohio, but it's Ohio. Uh, this one is decidedly North Northeast Ohio. You, you know that Cleveland has their Pride Day nonsense. Um, a lot of individual smaller suburban communities have their little Pride Day nonsense too. Not all of them take it to this level. Solon has announced their Pride Day is going to be on Groom 24th from 4 to 7 p.m. at the Solon Center for the Arts. It's part of the Solon Park. Well, it says it's Solon Center for the Arts and Solon Parks and Rec. Maybe that's who's specifically sponsoring it. But at any rate, Solon Pride Day 2023 is going to feature much of the same nonsense, the 
Queer Nation March, the uh, parade, uh, performances, naturally including drag performances that will be considered family-friendly, just like the family-friendly pride parades that are being held across the country that we are seeing videos of, family-friendly with children lining the streets and clapping as men ride on the back of parade floats naked, whipping one another with cat and nine tails and other sex toys, literally performing out sexual fantasies in front of children. The videos are grotesque, but they are everywhere. If you don't believe me, just look. You will find them. But that's not the end of this. They're going to have their little pride parade and do those kinds of bizarre, deviant things in front of kids in Solon, but they're going to take it a step further in Solon. Solon is channeling their inner Los Angeles Dodgers, and they are inviting guest speaker Jim DeLong, otherwise known as Sister Nadia Hedensmile, or Hedensmile, of the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. The Catholic hate group that is being honored by the state of California and by the Los Angeles Dodgers with the approval of Major League Baseball. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence is not just a drag group, not just one of those freak shows. They are anti-Catholic and anti-Catholic hate group. That's what they are. They make it very plain and very, very clear. It's one thing for this to be happening in California. It's another thing for this to be happening in your backyard. In Solon, they could have just said, have a regular old drag queen come and try to groom kids with a, quote, drag-friendly or a family-friendly drag performance. But nope, they have to go for the Catholic hate group. I would like to know how Northeast Ohio Catholics are going to respond to that. Solon Pride Day 2023 is groomed the 24th from 4 to 7 p.m. featuring Sister Nadia Smile, Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, the Catholic hate group. You tell me how you're going to react to that. Pastor Chris Long of the Ohio Christian Alliance will join us next on Always Right Radio. The sleeping masses in the fire of the American dream. Always write radio with Bob France and the answer. Perfectly appropriate to have that uh, American Minute with Bill Federer uh, pre, uh, lead us into this uh, conversation. Bill Federer was instrumental as part of the team that Chris Long put together to help get the D-Day prayer uh, added to the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. It was a 10-plus year passion project commemorating, of course, 79 years ago now, the more than 156,000 Allied troops that invaded Normandy, France on D-Day. And again, that was the largest seaborne uh, invasion in history. And uh, that, of course, followed up the uh, drop, uh, the airdrop of the uh, of the airborne uh, on the evening or the night overnight of uh, of June fifth, nineteen forty four, in preparation for that arrival. That, of course, was uh, uh, a little bit less than uh, perfect. And uh, the heroism that came out of that day from those who went in in both directions, from both directions, um, is something that we will forever, forever commemorate. And that was, I think, the reason for putting the prayer. 
uh, FDR's prayer from uh, uh, the night before telling the, uh, the American people uh, what was happening with this invasion. It is a moment in American history that cannot ever be forgotten. And thanks to Chris Long, the pastor in charge of the Ohio Christian Alliance, it will never be forgotten. It is now forever immortalized, etched in stone at the World War II Memorial. Let's go there now where we find Pastor Chris Long getting set for a D-Day commemorative ceremony today. Pastor Long, good morning. It's good to talk to you again. How are things in D.C.? Good morning, Bob. Coming to you live from uh, Washington, D.C., over by the Circle Remembrance, where the D-Day prayer has been added. It was completed late in December, open to the public in January, and then uh, it is getting a dedication today. So the uh, little bit of the uh, Marine Band Ensemble is here. There's some young people uh, playing some patriotic music uh, with violins, and there's veterans here. And, of course, dignitaries, Senator Portman will be here, who is our chief sponsor in the U.S. Senate. I was with Congressman Bill Johnson this morning. He had to head off to a committee meeting. He'll be back at 10 a.m. for the service. Uh, he was our House sponsor. It was an 11-year journey to get the prayer added. Woke up one morning with an idea. Said to the wife, don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to ask Congressman Bill Johnson uh, to offer legislation to add FDR's D-Day prayer at the World War II Memorial. And here we are. Uh, you know, I'm just sitting here thinking, Bob, you know, I'm looking over here at the scene, and I'm thinking you wake up one morning with an idea from God, and then you see it come to fruition. Uh, the, ba- the Bible says, through faith and patience, we inherit the promises. And so it was a long journey, can't be paid for by tax dollars, but by private donations. And we did receive precious donations from veterans and family members across the nation, but we were nowhere near getting the $2 million that was needed to complete the project. Then the Lilly Endowment came forward with a $2 million grant, and that was a miracle because we were running out of time. Uh, the Commemorative Works Act says that uh, anything added to the mall in Washington has to be completed within a seven-year timetable, and we were coming up on that deadline. So, you know, it's, it's just like God. He comes through at the final minute. Pastor Long, how does this feel for you? I know you tried to talk about it a little bit. Um, this is the first D-Day since the completion and the opening of the prayer uh, at the World War II Memorial, at the, at the prayer circle. It is a uh, circle of remembrance, excuse me. Um, you, you just pointed out, in, in last year, of course, when we did our kind of pre-dedication dedication, uh, you told the story about your 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 dream that you had, your your conversation with God, your your mission that you were tasked with, this idea that you got uh, to make this happen, and it took over ten years. And you talked at length about how many times you nearly stopped it because you just didn't think it was going to happen. You couldn't get the funding. You couldn't make all of these pieces come together at once. And you always found a will to go forward. How does it feel now, the first D Day since it got done, to be there to look at you at, you know at at your vision in in reality well it is a sense of great uh fulfillment and pride and joy to see the people that have rallied around this project uh the friends of the world war ii memorial uh tasked with uh helping to raise the money and also with the architectural design we weighed in on that design because at one point there was a modernistic offer by one of the architects and we thought that doesn't look right and we weighed in on the capital planning commission and they actually agreed with us they said one lady said, I don't even, she was a liberal, she said, I don't even like the World War II Memorial, the way it's uh, designed. But I agree with him that the prayer should be in keeping with the main monument. And so we kind of won the little battles along the way, uh, you know, in disagreement with our friends. But the, fa- the fact is, uh, they really took on and took possession and, and ownership. And that's so good. That's what you want people to do. And let me tell you the greatest joy. When we were here in January, we saw a little gal 
uh, come up with her parents and begin to read the prayer. And she said to them, I want to read it aloud. And so we watched her. As she read, and then we told them the story, and that's what it's all about, Bob. It's about those young people learning about what happened 79 years ago this day when those young people stormed the beaches. And that, that was the end of their life for the cause of freedom in the first and second waves of Omaha Beach. That's why we're here today. Chris, I know how much of this means to you, and when I called it a passion project, I think you just um, demonstrated that. I understand, uh, well, as, be- as be- best somebody can who isn't you, um, how you feel right now, um, because this is so extraordinarily important to you. And uh, I hear it in your voice, and the fact that you're breaking up a little bit uh, just underscores that. And I love your point of reference here, that you know, 79 years from now, Long after you and I are long gone, that memorial will remain, that prayer will remain, and the dedication and the sacrifice of those who voluntarily stormed that beach to save the world, quite literally, to not just stop a foreign power. This was an effort to save the world. This is what they did. And 79 years from now and 79 years after that, uh, people are going to be coming by and watching and reading and looking and observing and remembering and commemorating the sacrifices from that day. And uh, your contribution to this at the World War II Memorial is going to stand the test of all time. Well, that's right, Bob, and for today, we see our nation in moral decline, and the, 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 the message here is it's not too late. If America will turn back to God, if we will turn to him and repent of our ways, he again will shed his blessing on the nation. Right now, it, it looks impossible when we see the degradation and the immorality all around us and the perversion, but yet... Other generations had their challenges as well of moral decline. There's an opportunity here. So this prayer in the middle of this mall being added is an opportunity for people to come and read the prayer, but also say a prayer and offer a prayer. In the time that you've been there, uh, and I don't mean just this time, you've been back to D.C. many, many times, uh, of course, uh, since this project got started and even since its completion. When you observe people visiting the memorial and, and stopping by the Circle of Remembrance and looking at this prayer, do you see them taking the time to read the entire thing? Do they stand? I and, do. And... That's what was such the joy when we came in uh, January. Of course, today is a little different with you know, the ceremony. Mm-hmm. But after we're all gone... There will be people that will come over there, and they will read the entire prayer. And that's that such terrible. a joy. And that day, we just sat and watched quietly as pe- person and group after group came. And it wasn't even announced at that time. They found it, and they started reading the prayer. You know, the temporary prayer plaque was here for three years, and we know that literally thousands of people read that. And that was just a temporary prayer. Now the permanent prayer edition, uh, with the full enhancement of the Circle of Remembrance, will get a lot of traffic. And so that's the real joy for us is that uh, 
literally thousands upon thousands are going to be reading this prayer. That is that is so wonderful. You have to just feel an immense uh, amount of pride uh, for having been such a major part of this, for being the driving factor of this, for coordinating and bringing other people together, bringing donors together, bringing legislators together. You had to get rep- uh, representation and sponsorship of it from the House and from the Senate, the work that you did. Uh, Chris, like I said, it will stand the test of time. This, uh, this is such a wonderful, wonderful thing. Uh, I thank you for taking time out before your ceremony begins down there in D.C., Chris. Long uh, for coming on with us. Uh, congratulations to you again on your wonderful accomplishment here. I know it's going to be uh, appreciated by the families of all of those who sacrificed on that day uh, for the rest of their days. And thank you very much. Well, Chris. thank you, Bob. And there's a website people can go to to learn about the prayer's history and mm-hmm. our project. It's called ddayprayerproject.org. That's ddayprayerproject.org. There's some videos there and information. That's where folks can go and learn more about it. Wonderful. Thank you for that reminder. I'll make sure to share that as well. Pastor Chris Long, the president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. Thank you very much, Chris. We'll talk to you soon. All right, there you go. That's uh, Chris Long. Yeah, I'm looking at the page right now. I was actually on uh, their Facebook page, but the ddayprayerproject.org page is wonderful. Uh, The celebration ceremony, again, is going to begin in about 15 minutes down there at about 10 o'clock. The effort to add FDR's historical presidential prayer at the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. was immense. It took so much effort, so much time, so much dedication, so much prayer, and some things really had to unite. I mean, honestly, some things had to come together that you just, you, you kind of, if you don't know, you'd be amazed uh, at the long shot that it was for all of these things to come together. They make it very, very difficult to do things like this. Uh, you know, the National Parks uh, Organization, it's very, very difficult. Again, it had to be approved by Congress. You had to have sponsorship from both the House side and the, and the Senate side to add this. And, again, it took over 10 years to get everything to come together, all of the pieces that had to come together to do so. The funding phase is outlined here on the web page. The construction and dedication phase of it as well. There's uh, there's a lot of videos. Bill Federer is there giving a wonderful uh, presentation as well. And again, I was asked to be a part of that last year when I went down and emceed uh, the uh, the pre dedication dedication that we had uh, for the uh, for the D Day prayer. And uh, it is it was a vision, and the mission has been accomplished. And it's uh, I'm some, I'm very proud to, to to talk to Chris and to and to share this with everybody. Okay. Uh, so it is D-Day 2023, 79 years on. We're going to pay it its due respect. After all, we're in the middle of an entire month of celebrating nonsense. I think we can spend a few hours today celebrating the uh, freedom and the saving of the world. Uh, but then again, that's just me. It's 946, Always Right Radio is right back after this. AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 950. Thanks for being with us on Always Right Radio. Don't forget, it's Curse Now Day. Pete will join us coming up at uh, about 1010. I do have time for some phone calls in this segment if you would like to make them. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. I also want to share this with you. Yesterday, last uh, hour of the show, last half hour of the show, I think it was, I was trying to um, share with you some words 
um, from the Megyn Kelly podcast, which is on Sirius XM. Megyn Kelly, of course, formerly Fox News. She left Fox News to go to NBC. Then uh, she left NBC. Actually, she got canned by NBC because they couldn't stand her. They couldn't stand her bringing some semblance of conservatism to their uh, left-wing network, and they looked for a reason to uh, to fire her. Uh, they found that reason. It doesn't matter what it is. It was ridiculous. But she has landed on her feet, and she has an enormously popular, successful podcast on uh, SiriusXM. So um, the Megyn Kelly Show, uh, just a few days ago, she decided on June 2nd, as a matter of fact, so it was on Friday, <clears throat> She decided to basically confess her own uh, previous beliefs and to talk about what has changed her mind as it pertains to um, this this never-ending assault on women. I just told you the story in the last half hour about the University of Cincinnati student who was given a zero for using the term biological women in her project proposal. The gender studies professor said that th- those words are transphobic. The existence of biological women is transphobia, is what she was told. So women are literally being erased from existence. Matt Walsh's movie, What is a Woman?, has garnered 170 million views on Twitter. It's a 90-minute documentary film. It is terrific, and it underscores the fact that those who are pushing this transing of America are trying to literally eliminate women from existence. You cannot claim womanhood solely because you are born a woman. As a matter of fact, if you are born a woman, we don't want to hear about it. Biological women, is it, the, the idea, the concept, the words, biological women are transphobic because they push the heteronormative uh, a narrative. Is what they're saying. So anyway, back to Megyn Kelly. So Megyn Kelly explained on her uh, podcast why it is she no longer will use preferred pronouns. Something that she said she started to do years and years ago. She started to because it would be disrespectful and it would be nice. It would be kind. And after all, what's the harm? Well, she told her story about what the harm is. And I want you to hear just three minutes of it. She spoke on this for about 18 minutes. I want you to hear three minutes of it. Because I said this yesterday, and I'll say it again today, it's it's rather inspirational. Truthfully, it is inspirational to hear somebody acknowledge that the light bulb came on for them. The light bulb came on, and they realized there is harm, and we cannot allow this to happen anymore. Please listen. They say pronouns are a gateway drug. They open the door to these lies that lead to real harm to real females. They are a clever rhetorical trick that forces you to see the argument about women's spaces before you've ever even spoken one word of substance. People with genuine gender dysphoria can lobby to create their own spaces. I will support them. To create open categories in sport, I will support them. The answer in the interim is not women lose, girls get hurt. Females learn to turn off their innate sense of danger, of fairness, of the joy of spending time with only women. Kids, too, can grow to adulthood and do what they want with their bodies. I will have empathy for them. I would never bully them. But children should not be subjected to these dangerous interventions in school or at the hands of so-called medical professionals. The facilities that allow it must be stopped or shut down. For these reasons, 
I have resolved to base my conversations around gender on the same tenets that already govern my life, truth and reality. I will not use preferred pronouns. A decision motivated by a growing alarm over women's rights and the safety of children. I will speak to a trans person kindly and with empathy. In their presence, I will likely try to avoid pronouns altogether, as I have no wish to intentionally provoke or upset anyone. But I will not take this gateway drug anymore because I have a daughter, because I am a woman, an adult human female. Because for far too long, I failed to see the harm and therefore helped cause it. To the women and men who helped open my eyes, thank you. And I will single out one in particular, Ireland's Brand Dove, who at 14 years old wrote the poem, I Am Not a Dress, which perfectly captures what so many of us are feeling. I am not a dress to be worn on a whim. A man in a dress is nonetheless a him. Women are not simply what we wear. If this offends you, I do not care. I am not an idea in any man's mind. And my purpose in life is not to be kind. So while my rights are trampled every day of the week, I will not stand by being docile and meek. We are women. We are warriors of steel. Woman is something no man will ever feel. Woman is not a skill that any man can hone. Woman is our word, and it is ours alone. That just kind of hit me the right way when I first heard it, and I wanted to share it with you. I tried to get this to you yesterday, but I got uh, I, I was on. It was too long. Obviously, I, I was starting to play it from the beginning, and I couldn't play eighteen minutes of content for you. But that was a that was a very important part that I think you needed to hear. There is harm. And buying in and playing the game. When you participate in someone else's delusion, you obviously strengthen their belief that their delusion is real. When you play a role in supporting somebody's fantasy, you make it that much more difficult for them to come back to reality because they feel like, hey, other people are playing too. Their fantasy becomes their reality. Until you get to a point where Reality says being a woman is whatever you want it to be. Reality says that if I say I'm a woman and if I think I'm a woman, then I am a woman. And I can prove that I'm a woman. How do I prove it? Because I said so. See? That's what it becomes. How many people listening right now remember Nina Turner? Former state senator, former candidate for Congress. Nina Turner is one of the most radical left-wing socialists I've ever met. I've debated her on television before. I've had great conversations with her in which I feel like I exposed some of her insanity, but her insanity through the years has not been healed. It has, in fact, been um, it has grown. She tweeted just a couple of days ago that a woman is whatever someone says. I'm paraphrasing it. Uh, uh, you are a woman if you say you are a woman. This is not complicated. She is willing to surrender everything that makes her unique and special as a woman by saying any man can be the same, no matter what, as long as they say they are. 
This is emblematic of the problem, and that's what Megyn Kelly is working very, very hard now to, uh, to, to reverse. She was part of this problem. She played the game. She supported the fantasies. She supported the surreality in, in, in contrast to reality. And now she realizes the harm, and now she regrets it and will never do it again. And I hope there are millions and millions and millions of Americans, male and female, which, by the way, are the only two, that feel the same way and will act the same way. Coming up on News Now, top of the hour. After that, Curse and I will join us. 216-901-0945, When it's your turn, stay here on Always Right Radio. This hour from townhall.com. I'm Rich Thomason. D-Day is being commemorated today on the beaches of Normandy, the 79th anniversary of the assault that led to the liberation of France and Western Europe from the Nazis. Jake Larson was there at the start of the invasion. He's back there today saying he feels pretty good. I'm 100 years old without an ache or a pain. Among the veterans, there has been some talk of the war in Ukraine. One 98-year-old British veteran jokes, I'm still in the reserve. I'm waiting to go to Ukraine now. And Russia is accused by Ukraine of unleashing a potential ecological disaster by blowing up a major dam and hydroelectric power station in southern Ukraine. Not only is there serious flooding downstream, a nuclear power plant is also under threat. Ukraine says the dam holds back almost 5 billion gallons of water. A familiar face will enter the 2024 presidential race later today. Former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie is gearing up for another run for the White House after being a candidate in 2016. He'll be launching his campaign in New Hampshire. Christie is putting himself forward as the only potential candidate willing to aggressively take on Donald Trump. Christie was a longtime friend and advisor, but broke with Trump over his refusal to accept the results of the 2020 election. Christie has since emerged as a leading and vocal critic of the former president. Greg Clugston, the White House. The Republican chair of the House Oversight Committee vows to move ahead with plans to possibly hold FBI Director Christopher Wray in contempt of Congress. Congressman James Comer says Wray has refused to hand over information on the Biden family's business affairs. The information subpoenaed by the panel is not classified. Stocks are in the red this morning on Wall Street. Right now, the Dow is down 50 points. The Nasdaq off 25. The S&P, five points lower. More on these stories at townhall.com. You have an IRA or 401k, please listen closely. My name is Jason Hansen. I'm a former CIA officer and New York Times bestselling author. Throughout my career, let's just say I've been in some hairy situations. And I believe right now the biggest threat facing Americans is they need to protect their wealth, which is exactly what I'm doing for my wife and six kids. And I believe the ultimate safe haven is physical gold and silver. You can protect your hard-earned retirement assets with a tax-free loophole that allows you to convert your retirement into physical gold and silver. The Folks I use are Advantage Gold, and believe me, I've investigated the heck out of all types of people. Advantage Gold is the nation's highest-rated gold company. They have the best process, pricing, and service. If you want to get your free gold and silver investment kit, please contact Advantage Gold right now, and you'll see how easy it is to protect yourself with precious metals. Call 800-900-8000. That's 800-900-8000. 800-900-8000. Advantage Gold is not an investment advisor or a tax advisor. Consult with your financial advisor before investing. Call 800-900-8000. Opium production said to be down sharply in Taliban-controlled Afghanistan. Afghanistan used to produce more than 80% of the world's opium, the main ingredient of heroin, until the practice was banned last year. 
by the Taliban supreme leader. Over the past month, the BBC has travelled to multiple provinces in Afghanistan and witnessed a dramatic drop in poppy cultivation. In the opium heartland of Helmand, farmers have all but complied with the ban. In the eastern Nangarhar province, where some defied the order, the BBC has seen Taliban patrol units destroying crops of poppies. The BBC's Yakut Lamaye. Iran claims to have created a hypersonic missile capable of traveling at 15 times the speed of sound. The announcement comes as tensions are high with the U.S. over Tehran's nuclear program. Iran State TV reports the missile has a range of around 870 miles. News and analysis, townhall.com. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. It is a Tuesday, the sixth morning of the sixth month of the year of our Lord, 2023, otherwise known as Groom Sixth, 2023, but also uh, 79 years ago, uh, the world was, was saved, or at least the first steps toward its saving happened, and uh, we commemorate, of course, D-Day now, plus 79, D-Day plus 79, simply remarkable. Thanks to Pastor Chris Long, who joined us last half hour to talk about that and the commemoration going on down in Washington, D.C. right now. And let us now bring in, if you couldn't tell from the music, our good friend, Mr. Peter Kersenow. Attorney Kersenow is a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. He is a sometimes law professor, a sometimes author, well, he's an all-the-time author, sometimes columnist, and he also, of course, hosts the uh, Kersenow Report on AM 1420, The Answer. Pete, good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. You know, the, the weather has been really spectacular here in Cleveland. Um, I can't remember a beginning of June quite like this, where we've had low humidity, 75, 80 degree temperatures, uh, you know, wall-to-wall sunshine. It's been really remarkable. I, I, I like it. Yeah, it's beautiful unless you're a corn farmer. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I feel sorry for the I mean, we've, we haven't had a whole lot of rain. That's true. No, it's uh, true. Yeah, the, the lawns, everybody's lawn in my neighborhood looks brown, and uh, I feel bad for the farmers out there. Hopefully this will regulate itself uh, in due time. Peter Kirsten, now a lot of really important work to do, uh, to discuss with you today or to do with you today. We're going to start. Oh, later this morning. Oh, uh, hold on a second. We're not going to start with that. Why is that autoplaying? There's an autoplay. Uh, Peter, what I do want to start with is this little piece of audio from the chairman of the House Oversight Committee, James Comer. FBI officials confirmed that the unclassified FBI-generated record has not been disproven and is currently being used in an ongoing investigation. The confidential human source who provided information about then-Vice President Biden being involved in a criminal bribery scheme is a trusted, highly credible informant who has been used by the FBI for over 10 years and has been paid over six figures. These are facts and no amount of spin and, frankly, lies from the White House or congressional Democrats can change this information. At the briefing, the FBI again refused to hand over the unclassified record to the custody of the House Oversight Committee, and we will now initiate contempt of Congress hearings. 
So that's James Comer's statement about yesterday's um, viewing of the confidential document. Not confidential in terms of classification, but uh, obviously something that the uh, FBI and the Department of Justice wants to keep very, very uh, uh, closely under wraps. So James Comer said we got to look at it, but they didn't turn it over to us, which is what they have to do by way of this subpoena. So therefore, contempt of Congress must happen. Pete, two questions. One. Uh, do you support the contempt of Congress charge against Christopher Ray? And two, is there any point to the contempt of Congress charge for Christopher Ray, considering Eric Holder was once held in contempt of Congress and absolutely nothing happened? Yeah, uh, yeah, I do. Um, I mean, I, I thought about this a lot, and I've read as much as I possibly could about not just this form and the refusal to turn it over, and the alleged accommodation that they made in terms of allowing them to view it, but not have physical custody of the form. There are a lot of reasons why this should be done. Uh, One is because we have a right to know if, in fact, this credible witness, and nobody disputes that this is somebody who's been used by the FBI for 10 years in multiple investigations, it's extremely credible, What he's alleging is, uh, and this is hard to imagine given um, what we saw with respect to the dossier issue, uh, the greatest political scandal in American history. You know, if you don't count the the attempt to, you know, overturn the election as the greatest political scandal, um, and I mean the attempt by Comey, Clinton, et al., uh, but this is extraordinary, and I think the public has a right to know, more importantly, uh, in terms of the way our government works, the elected representative, James Comer, who is, um, you know, head of oversight, he's got the, the right and the authority to do this as an elected representative, and he subpoenaed a document from a bureaucrat. I don't care who, you know, who it is, the head of the FBI. He is a bureaucrat. He has not been elected by the people. He is a creature of a creation by the, the people through their elected representatives. He has a duty to turn this over. And consider the howling, you know, it's almost getting boring to do this, but you have to do it. Uh, The howling double standard here, where you had James Comey, for example, doing everything he could to make sure the completely and utterly fake and fabricated, and he knew at the time it was, Steele dossier was disseminated to every news organization in the world and everybody in the world, and how much they pounded on that versus this, where we have a credible piece of information about what appears to be a very credible allegation of enormous scandal, a bribe, a bribe from a foreign power alleged to be $5 million, you know, even for uh, Biden, that might get him to get off his butt and do something. But $5 million going to an American, at that time, vice president in return for policy changes. Extraordinary. And our elected representatives don't get a chance to see it. Among other things, the FBI's credibility has been so tarnished, even if you were to give some credence to the FBI's concerns about trying to keep this, you know, in a in a way that it doesn't, you know, get uh, disseminated broadly to the public because it's an ongoing investigation, they have they're, they're they're they are a victim of their own corruption and double standards by virtue of James Comey and everything that has occurred over the last five six years that we saw in the Durham report. Merely because the press doesn't report something doesn't mean it didn't happen. The old saw of if a 
tree falls in a forest, but if there's nobody's there to hear it, does it make a sound? Yeah, it makes a sound. And we had an atomic bomb go off with respect to the entire steel dossier and the uh, Russiagate issue, a huge bomb that showed that from top to bottom. Well, maybe not top to bottom. Let me not. I don't want to be unfair, but the very upper echelons of the FBI, nobody can be trusted, and that's putting it mildly. Not only can they not be trusted, but what they can be trusted for is to do the bidding of the Democratic Party, specifically Clinton and Biden and who knows whom else. So this is a big deal. And I uh, look. I wish this didn't have to come to this because I don't like the idea that, you know, you go ahead and you subpoena documents and then you hold people in contempt and everything. I, I would hope that our government would work better. But in a circumstance such as this, this is serious enough. I think they have to do it. And I tell you, these folks at the FBI, um, at the top levels, everyone from Comey to uh, Ray to, you know, Struck and Page and all these people, the, the, I can't remember the attorney's name now either, but um, all these folks, it's just despicable. We should not put up with this in a democratic republic. We deserve better than this. And I hope they smack them across the face. So, but again, I, I go forward to what is the outcome? What what are the likely consequences? What can we count on that would even make this matter? It's okay they subpoena. Let's say they subpoena the document and they get the document and the document is collaborated or not collaborated. It is um, it is put together with uh, the testimony from the whistleblowers and they and they find out okay there's enough here for a full fledged investigation into whether or not Joe Biden as vice president facilitated or at least was aware of happening with his approval this uh, you know this this five million dollar bribery scheme that in, scheme that enriched his family so what because we, we would then have to turn this all over to whom to merrick garland to conduct an investigation of the doj by the doj i mean merrick garland is joe biden's handpicked guy he's not going to lead an investigation into his own fbi and 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 their role in this uh, in this entire affair we're asking uh, a corrupt attorney general, in my opinion, uh, a guy who's weaponized the FBI against its political opponents, against the administration's political opponents, Pete. So let's say Comer gets everything he wants here and gets, gets control of the document and so forth, and now we go forward and expect what? There's no way this Department of Justice is going to investigate Joe Biden and its own self. Well, that's all exactly right, but what we cannot do at any time is say, so what, because that's precisely what they want us to do, because we are at that point. You and I, Bob, go out, we talk to members of your audience and uh, you know other conservatives, and we hear that all the time. They're dispirited. They see that the Republican Party gets all jacked up about something and then falls flat on its face. They don't get any kind of payoff for what they allege they're going to do and you know these investigations, and it seems as if the game is rigged. But to the extent we continue to simply capitulate like this, the game will be even more rigged. We have to fight back, hit back hard, and make them go through at least the effort, the New York Times and the media uh, who are trying to cover up for this administration. Again, this is a gigantic scandal, and it means something, because there are people out there who are watching and listening. We don't think that they are. We think that the left controls most of the media, and they do, but kernels of information do get out there. When you're talking about something of this magnitude, this is not complicated. This is not something like, you know, he said this, he, sh- he did that, the other person did this. This is very, very simple. $5 million in return for policy. 
policy. This is something that anybody can grasp. This is the most dangerous type of allegation for any party, if it's true, because the public gets this. It's not complicated at all. And uh, this kind of revelation has to be made. That's part of the function. Now, we all, we all know, and we get you know, very upset with our Republicans because they always seem to be shooting themselves in the foot. They don't seem to be going for the jugular. Uh, I think this needs to be revealed, and I think you have to be tenacious. You've got to be a mad dog. What, what is that? The, the, the mad dog in the meat market? Who is it? Uh, Mike Junkin. That linebacker? Mike Junkin. Mike Junkin. There you go. There you go. We, you know, we got to be Mike Junkin. We're still at North Carolina. Was it North Carolina State? I think? Oh, Duke. Duke. He was Duke. at Duke. Yep. Right. <laughs> you should have been suspicious right there. <laughs> but no, no disrespect to you folks at Duke, but uh, you guys aren't going to be playing Ohio State football anytime in the near future. But um, nonetheless, this kind of stuff, I think, is of enormous importance. And even if the Republicans shoot themselves in the foot, the revelation of these kinds of things, hammering on these things, have a benefit all of their own. And for political hygiene, it's necessary. We cannot have simply throw up our hands and say, eh, we don't care about a report that alleges that our sitting president was the subject of a $5 million bribery scheme. Oh, my God, if we can't get excited about that, if we can't do whatever it takes, even if it ultimately turns out to be futile, which I don't think it will, we still have to go through those motions because, as I said at the very outset, if we don't, if we don't even just spin our wheels, then they have completely won. That's what they want us to do with all of their minions in all of the various federal agencies and their, their uh, lackeys in the media. They will have won. They've so dispirited us that we don't even make a challenge. So uh, we're looking at one of the biggest corruption, and this is saying something given what we've witnessed over the last several years, one of the biggest allegations of corruption in American history, it must be run to ground. No question about it. Peter Kirsten now is joining us on AM 1420. The answer will take this as our time out. We have a lot of other topics to discuss with Peter. Uh, if you want to join us, uh, two ones. If you've got a question for Peter, I don't open this up enough for questions to Peter Kirsten now, and I know people love asking them whenever he makes appearances at McFan and other places. So if you've got a question you'd like to ask, uh, we will indeed entertain it at two one six nine zero one zero nine four five, and we will be back. Okay, 1024 now we continue. Peter Kersenow is our guest. Peter, of course, the longest-serving member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. Hey, Pete, um, I want to ask you, this is this is more of a cultural question, I suppose, a uh, question on education, but it may have a legal bearing as well that, that would be uh, up your alley. Um, a University of Cincinnati student, sophomore, by, by the name of, of Olivia Krolchik, uh, studying chemistry there, took, for whatever reason, a women's gender studies in pop culture class. And uh, was told it was one of her last assignments. She had to present a project proposal. She did a project proposal and turned it in and got a zero. She was told she got a zero because she used the term biological women. The professor said the term biological women is transphobic. And it is also um, exclusionary. And it is also, where are the words that I'm looking for here... Uh, solid proposal. Oh, they're exclusionary and not allowed because they reinforce heteronormativity. So she got a zero. She took this to TikTok. It has now gone viral. It's been viewed more than 2.8 million times. And people are saying, how on earth can we exclude the term biological women from our lexicon? 
when doing anything, much less writing a paper, doing a project, or anything else. Biological women is apparently tr- exclusionary and transphobic because it, it reinforces heteronormativity. Pete, you say what? Well, I got a lot to say. Um, from a legal standpoint, the university can do almost anything it wants to, unfortunately, because of New Hampshire versus Sweezy. It's a kind of a mangled case from a long time ago that gives universities pretty broad latitude with respect to First Amendment issues. But, um, you know, that doesn't mean that you can't be, first of all, it's dumb to do it. Okay, let's just say, let's put the law aside. From, let's just look at, you know, black and white. This is dumb. It's stupid. It's, it's, uh, what, what can you say about this? I mean, it's really extraordinary. But in terms of uh, the types of challenges to this, first of all, Cincinnati gets federal funding. It gets state funding. Right. I think our legislators need to get in there and say, what the heck are you guys doing here? This is just stupid. Regardless of where you stand on the political spectrum, this is about education, not indoctrination. You don't have phrases that are off limits, that are in limits. It, this is just nuts. In addition, there is a tangential you know, maybe a theory that if this is done frequently enough, it could cause, um, a co- it could present a cause of action in terms of compelled speech, First Amendment violation, or a sexually hostile uh, educational environment. That's a strain. It's a real strain. I think this really has to go to, is this dumb or not? Not whether it's legal or not. And it's dumb, and I think our elected representatives need to take action to stop the stupidity. Our education establishment is turning into I don't know what. I I can't think of the appropriate uh, appellation. It would be pejorative, no doubt whatsoever. But um, we are going insane. (laughs) <laughs> we're just going insane. What this, and, does and, big, what this does bigger picture than the education part, I have Dr. Everett Piper on every week like I do you. He's on Thursdays, and he has been talking for the last couple of years, I've had him on, about how the intent here, the goal of this transing of America in this uh, in this, this massive uh, agenda, is literally to wipe out the existence of women. That women as an actual sex, as a, as a you know, a, 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 a part of the human species have to be wiped out. And women, womanhood must be redefined as whatever someone feels like it is. And, you know, sometimes that sounds a little hyperbolic, a little bit exaggerative, a little bit over the top. But i got to tell you now, here is a college professor saying the term biological women must go. If that doesn't prove Dr. Piper right, nothing does. This is so much larger than just, you know... um, you know, education standard or, you know, one, one particular student's grade, this is indicative and, and, and emblematic of what they are trying to do. They are literally trying to wipe out um, what it really means to be a woman. Yeah, I, I agree with Dr. Piper. I would take it even a step further. He's a lot smarter than I am, but I would take it a step further. It's not simply wiping out women, which, by the way, Megan Kelly makes a very good point about that. Uh, I mean, I was kind of skeptical about Megan Kelly for a while, but after she left Fox, I told she turned out to be a rock rib conservative, and she has about a 15-minute podcast about just that, and it's pretty good. I encourage everybody I played, to take a look yeah, at it. I, play, I played a portion of it yesterday and another portion okay, of it. Okay, you're always ahead of me. Yeah. yeah, but I would say with respect to Dr. Piper, the reason I think it goes farther than that is it's not just wiping out women. It's writing out. It's it's wiping out um, truth versus uh, and, and truth and facts. That's what it is. It is Orwellian in its truest sense. When you can't say certain things, or when you don't call a woman a woman, and you don't express yourself in uh, truthful terms like that, then that what allows that to do is Orwell has said a number of times and others, it is the and, and frankly, I think that Antonio Gramsci actually did a better job than Orwell on this. It is cultural socialism or cultural communism that changes 
reality. And the Mao did this very well, the Russians did this, or the Soviets did this very well. If they can get you to say that a man is a woman or there's no such thing as a woman, they can get you to say, which then means they can get you to believe all manner of absurdities. And socialism, communism is one of the greatest absurdities ever perpetrated on mankind. So that's what this is all about. We can't allow it to happen. More importantly, I want to remain sane, Bob. (laughs) And I think that's... That's not a joke, though. I mean, we need to be grounded in reality. I want to live in a world where words matter and where where, where science matters and where reality matters and where fantasy has to check its coat at the door. That's what I want. And what they are doing now is they are trying. When this professor told that girl that your words, biological women, uh, promote gender norm, uh, uh, heteronormativity, that's that's exactly the point. They don't want anybody to think heterosexuality is normal because that would mean all of the other fantastic um, you know, constructs that they put together are by definition not normal, abnormal. And the reality is none of them would be here if it weren't for heterosexuality because it's the way mammals propagate the species. It's just reality. All mammals. So the idea that heteronormativity must be axed from our uh, and excised from our from our you know our, our our language, our vernacular is 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 a part of the agenda here. And um, we got more to talk about, Peter Kirstenowski. We got people on the whole on hold who want to talk to you too. So we'll open up the phone line to questions for Pete coming up on Always Right Radio. This is AM 1420, The Answer, WHK, W273DG, Cleveland, a service of... Giving you reason in the age of unreason. Always right radio with Bob Frantz on The Answer. Okay, 1035, now we continue on this D-Day plus 79 2023. Pete, uh, Peter Kirstenau is with us. We're going to go to some phone calls uh, for Peter on whatever issues you have uh, a question for. But Pete, real quick, uh, thoughts on on uh, the celebration of the day? I was just talking to Chris, oh, Long, yeah. Pastor yeah. Chris Long, who uh, is down there right now. There's a ceremony going on commemorating uh, D-Day. And of course, this is the first D-Day we've had since the prayer project has been completed. And the uh, FDR's uh, D-Day prayer is now in its entirety at the World War II Memorial. Quick thoughts? Right. Yeah, well, not quick thoughts, very long thoughts. Actually, that's what it deserves, but I'll try to make them as quick as possible. Uh, And by the way, kudos to Josh Booth for excellent bumper music. Uh, Really appreciate that, but in any event, um, this was, a, as everyone knows, a big deal. I'm a little bit immersed in it, more so than I had even in the past, Uh, you know, uh, I thought I was fairly knowledgeable about this, but actually one of my novels that I'm writing, with the B.B. Griffin novels, has much to do with this, um, and Churchill... Stalin and Roosevelt getting together at Tehran talking about the need for opening up a Western Front. But this was an extraordinary event that I think needs to be commemorated over and over again, and not just reserved for one day out of the year. I think it's something that should be week-long, month-long, and maybe multiple times uh, marked. We don't have too many of the folks who actually stormed Normandy Breach still with us. And let's not forget also, we, we tend to forget there were, um, you know, in addition to about I think there were 130,000 troops that actually got off the sh- the, uh, the landing uh, ships on June 6th. But the night before, I think, I think the no- I think the number they're going with is 156,000, making it the uh, the largest. 
Obviously. Okay, that may include Bob. I'm, I'm not counter contradicting you, but there were. Um, you look at the 82nd and 101st Airborne the night before, about 13,000 landed um, and 50% casualty rate. Think about that. A 50. These guys have to jump out of a plane in the middle of the night in the midst of the greatest war machine that had ever been created to that point, which was a juggernaut. And they're doing it. And these, I mean, I, it's, I, I had the privilege of growing when I was growing up being surrounded by people who were in World War II. These were men. You know, there was no ifs, ands, or buts about it. They were real men, and they rarely talked about this kind of stuff. They hardly, this was something that you did. But nonetheless, truly extraordinary. Um, kudos and thanks, congratulations to those folks. It was an extraordinary 7,000 ships, 2,500 were killed on that first day. Extraordinary, just extraordinary. Um, I, 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 words fail, words fail. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, Pete, uh, we're going to, I'm going to talk with, uh, uh, with the guy whose dad was actually in the airborne, uh, who was uh, part of the, uh, the, the drop, as you point out, 13,000. And, uh, the drop of course was, uh, was a, a giant mess. Uh, guys were dropped, uh, in completely different places and, uh, they did. People talk about June 6th as being D-Day and it's true. And, and again, looking at the numbers, they say 156,000 actually made the, uh, the landing by sea. Uh, that's not counting the 13,000 uh, of, of, uh, 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 of, uh, paratroopers who dropped in but the the point being that you know june 5th was part of d-day too because this happened last night of course this was in preparation for the morning landing uh this happened overnight that this drop happened so d-day is always recognized as june 6th 1944 but june 5th is when the real work began and some of those uh some of those casualties started piling up right then and there because of the missed drops and so forth so um love talking history with you pete it's really really phenomenal and fantastic and especially when we're talking about superheroes who saved the world it's a real-life superhero movie that happened 79 years ago. They went and saved the world. Um, yeah, I wish we'd have more of that instruction in schools. It bears instruction, not only from the standpoint of knowing your history and knowing how to move forward because of the lessons learned from history, but because we need to honor these folks. And it's truly one of the, the most amazing stories. These superhero stories you see, I mean, that's all fiction. We don't care about that stuff. These were real men who did these things. Explore- I can't even get my brain around it anymore. I really no, can't. Because, it's just truly extraordinary. You know, I was talking about this before, and I don't want to belabor this but you know bullets don't bounce off of men bullets bounce off of superheroes real superheroes who come in to save the world these guys knew the bullets were going to kill them they knew every single one who jumped out of one of those planes uh, as an airman every one of those uh, uh, guys who crossed that channel um, they all knew that they were going to die or the the odds were very very strong that they were going to die they knew and they went and saved the world anyway and that's that to me is the what what sticks out, and that's why I can never stop, you know, saying prayers of thanks for their incredible sacrifice. They had to go save the world, and they didn't have superpowers with with which to do it. They all they had was courage and 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 God uh, and and a belief that what they were doing is the right thing, even if it cost them their lives. And, uh, and, and that's and, what's so extraordinary. And we have a duty to remember that and preserve the freedoms that they saved for us. We, we're over here erasing history and denigrating it. And we had, as you said, superheroes. We're standing on the shoulders of superheroes. And unfortunately, in, in the academy and in media, they are erasing this, denigrating it, you know, blaming it on white racism. I mean, we, those guys, you know, but for those guys, we'd be speaking German or Japanese right now. And now what do we do? They bequeathed us this incredible legacy. And what do we do? Build up a $31 trillion debt. We've got educational rot where our scores are dropping. We've got dystopic uh, urban centers throughout the country, cultural decadence everywhere, governmental corruption like we've never seen before. We have a duty, Bob. The, the little guys, 
we out here in Cleveland, Ohio, have a duty to make sure that we preserve the liberties that these guys secured for us. We fight back just as hard as they did in a metaphorical sense. Peter, uh, last thing on this, and I really didn't even mean to go this far, but since you just started talking about modern-day America, let's look at the modern-day military. If, if, if 1939 happened all over again right now, and the invasion of Poland began, and if uh, and if the course of uh, you know what happened in World War II was replicated right now, and this military was tasked with saving the world, what would happen? Um, I, we still have a lot of very fine men and women who are serving. Uh, the problem we have is among the problems we have is you know this cultural rot has permeated even the military. I look at Milley, and you know he's talking about the biggest problem we've got is uh, you know structural racism, and we've got uh, you know Austin who commands absolutely no respect. He gets keeps getting dissed by the Chinese for good reason. They've taken the measure of the man and measure of this administration. Um, you know we have lowered standards. Um, uh, you know I I know. I mean I've got nephews who've been in the Marines, several of them recently. Um, and I know there are a lot of very fine men and very fine women in the armed forces. But the question really is, uh, what's the leadership like? What's it, you know, I mean, my goodness, when at West Point and other places, they're into gender ideology more they are than they are in terms of uh, war fighting. We've got a real problem here. The culture has permeated the military. We've always tried to keep the culture separate from the military, or at least preserve the culture of the military. And we have a right to be worried because the folks at the top levels don't seem to be discharging the functions that uh, the their, their progenitors uh, did so finely in places like Normandy Beach. Peter Kirsten, I was our guest on AM 1420, The Answer. Just some reflections on uh, uh, on D-Day, uh, plus 79 now, and uh, and again, whether or not this, uh, this, this military, under its leadership and with its recruiting standards, would even have a chance if it had to go save the world. Uh, Peter, uh, I did ask people to call in if they have questions for you, and they do. So we're going to take one from Joe in Westlake. Joe, you're on the air with Peter Kirsten now. you got a quick question. Fire away, sir. Good morning. Peter, with the with D.C. ignoring the corruption of Biden and with D.C. escalating with Russia, sending ever more dangerous weapons uh, to the point that we're risking a nuclear war, is it time to focus on a, an alliance of conservative states and conservative companies to use the Tenth Amendment to push back on D.C.? To your thoughts. Yeah, you, you were breaking up there, but I think I got the gist of it. I'm asked this question so often, and I, I keep saying, you know, the guy to ask on this is Mark Levin. I am intellectually inadequate to answer a question like that. However, I am very concerned about what's going on with respect to the structure of our federal government and, um, you know, what the Democrats are doing especially. Um, this is a, we've, we've got a real problem on our hands. Our government is not functioning the way that it was supposed to. That the, I, I don't even have to go back to the Founding Fathers. It's not even functioning in the way we envisioned as recently as, say, 10 or 15 years ago. And it seems as if we've got extremely powerful entrenched interests that don't seem to have the interests of the United States writ large in mind when they pursue certain actions. Uh, I mean, we could talk about this for a long time. This, this really bears three hours worth of discussion. But I do think that Republicans right now are insufficient or are not 
up to the task of making the reforms necessary. We need some very bold leadership, but the first thing we have to do is win some elections to get some of those bold leaders in there. And unfortunately, that falls to the Republicans and the, the RNC. Now, look, don't get me wrong. I'm not painting a broad brush. We have some extremely fine Republican leaders out there and people who are at the RNC who are doing their best. But this requires vision, incredible courage, and incredible energy, because we have a republic to save. I mean, you know, that Larry's right. Larry Elder's right. And we have to have people who've got the kind of guts that we just talked about in terms of, th- this is important. You know, we, we will not face an existential crisis, we hope, like they did um, on June 6th of uh, 1943. However, when we do face that crisis, are we up to it? Are we up to the task? And we could be faced with that very shortly with China. Uh, thank you very much for the question, Joe. Pete, great response. We'll get one. John Stover, Ohio Value Voters. John, you're on the air with Pete. What question do you have, good sir? All right, can we hear John? Uh, we lost John. Okay, uh, BJ in North Olmstead. BJ, can you hear us? I hear him. Thank okay, you. BJ, what question do you have for Pete? I was 11 years old when that landing landed in... Um, in Europe, and witnessed what went on until the end of the war, and we thought that was the end of wars until I was drafted for the Korean War. And back then, women were having the babies, and men were making them with women. So all this kind of ties in together. The reality of life cannot be... You can't twist it anymore. The reality is what it is. What you believe it isn't is not what it is. So we have to wake up to the reality. Those of us who saw World War II, the Korean War, the Vietnam War, we know what war is about. And those that have babies know what it is to have a baby, and those that help make them know what it is to help make them. Thank you for your time. All right, BJ, thank you. Um, again, if you're going to call during the during uh, Pete's segment, I would love for you to ask a question of Pete. He's our guest. So if you've got questions for Pete, by all means, 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. Um, yeah, you know, the culture, the cult, we talked about it somewhat, Pete, because of the University, University of Cincinnati story. Uh, but larger picture here, you know, the culture, uh, and he mentioned, you know, women used to make babies. Men used to be the ones who made them with the with the women. And, and, and now they're trying to tell us men can have babies and so on and so forth. Um, just quick thoughts on Pride Month and what is happening all across this country. As you know, and I think we know we didn't talk about this last week because we hadn't hit it yet. I don't think anyway. The Dodgers, um, the Los Angeles Dodgers, and by extent, uh, uh, Major League Baseball as a whole, honoring an anti-Catholic or anti-Christian hate group called the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence by giving them a Community Hero Award at their Pride Night coming up here a little bit later this month. I just found out last night that the city of Solon is doing the same thing. Not Not an award, but they're having not just a drag person that they're honoring on their pride thing on uh, on the 24th of this month, Pete, but they're having one of the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence speak that night. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence is not something having to do with LGBTQ pride. They literally are an anti-Catholic hate group that mocks the priesthood, or the sisterhood, I should say, that mocks Christ's death, his passion, his resurrection, and, and, and just about everything that they can do, they have, uh, they have blasphemed. So, Pete, what do you make of this embrace, not just of the LGBTQ movement, but this embrace of the anti-Christian movement? 
Yeah, um, you know, I saw this writ large over the last 15 years. As I say very often, your audience knows this. If you want to know what the left has planned for America five years from now, come to a Civil Rights Commission hearing today because that's why they try, where they try out everything. Um, you know, this is a big deal. This goes to uh, our culture. It goes to reality. It goes to sanity. Um, you can't have a functioning society when people don't agree on the truth, don't agree on facts, and make up things as they go along. Um, I think a lot of people are still trying to um, figure out what's going on. It is so, you know, just for most people, it seems to be a form of just dis dysphoria, you know, not gender dysphoria, but a dysphoria writ large. We can't comprehend what is going on. And these organizations from Target to the Dodgers to all these others, there's so many of them now that are embracing this. I don't know what they're thinking, frankly. Many of them have lost significant market capitalization and sales. I mean, the kind that would ordinarily get an entire um, you know, group of officers at the, the top fired or cashiered just summarily. I don't know what they're thinking, but I think they're, they're caught off guard. I think that they don't know um, how to mediate the current paths in society, they, the old phrase of the squeaky wheel gets you know the oil, I think that because we've seen from some of these groups a lot of squeaking, that people are trying to address this, and because the way the civil rights movement was established for legitimate grievances, um, and the manner in which they pursued the uh, agenda of the civil rights community, that agenda has been pursued by other groups, and not every group has the same type of moral currency as the civil rights movement had, and not everything is the same. You have to use your judgment. You have to use discretion. You have to use discernment to actually address certain things. I don't think any of that's going on. It's stunning to me that the L.A. Dodgers would so, um, and, there, and it's not just the L.A. Dodgers, it's others, they would take a group who apparently they haven't vetted, they haven't thought about it, that, as you said, blasphemed. No, they weren't. I mean, they, you know, Pete, let me interrupt you there. They were vetted only even even if it was after the fact, because they made the original uh, uh, invitation to this group to appear on their Pride Night thing and get this award. Then the Catholics vetted them for them and told them, no, 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 you have no idea what these people are. And, and so they say, oh, wow, okay, now that we know what they do, they disinvited them. Then, after the LGBTQ people came back over the top with their own pro protest, they invited them again, and they apologized for even suggesting that they shouldn't be included. So they've been vetted. Yeah. They know who it, they are and what they are, and they made yeah. a conscious choice of the, the drag queen anti-Catholic hate group over 70 million Catholics in the United States. Well, they made their choice. Bud Light made their choice, and the people can make their choice, too. Bud Light has felt the choice of the people. What they have to remember is there are 70-plus million Catholics in the United States of America. I think that's a low number. I mean, I've got those figures from the Civil Rights Commission. I actually think that's a low number. Um, there are nominal Catholics, let's face it. But there's 70 million people who are identified as Catholics. I'm not sure that trans community or even their so-called allies comes anywhere near that. And so if you're a businessman, you know, you've got a decision to make. You know, it doesn't mean you discriminate against anybody. But in terms of uh, elevating somebody or in terms of denigrating something, and clearly here they are denigrating or at least giving credence to an organization or a group of people that denigrate Catholics in, in the most repulsive and vile way, you know, a number of people have asked already, would they do the same thing with Islam? You know, you don't even have to ask that question. You don't have to. Um, 
but they think they can do it with impunity when it comes to Catholics and other Christians. And, um, you know, look, you can vote with your feet, you can vote with your pocketbook, vote when it comes to these things. For my purposes, you know, I'm not one who's into boycotts, and I think most conservatives are not, because we go about things individually, not collectively. But from time to time, you've got to employ the tactics of the left, because sometimes they work. Now, they work in terms of the left, in terms of a, a uh, you know, a, a corrupt cause, possibly. But I don't go to Target, you know, and, you know, I used to like having a beer now and then, especially on, in the summer, working out in the yard on a Saturday. Um, I'm not going anywhere near Bud Light, even though I had used to drink Bud Light. That was my beer of choice. I'm not going anywhere near it. You know, I make a conscious decision. And I've also decided not to go to, uh, you know, other beers that are in the InBev group of beers. Okay. InBev owns uh, yeah. Budweiser, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm sure your, your uh, listeners know that. I'm making a decision. Okay. I'm voting with my pocketbook and my feet. And I think it's that important. I happen, I don't like the fact that the Dodgers have decided to, by extension, denigrate my religion. Okay, um, and it seems like the religious are, seem meek. They put their heads down. They don't protest. They don't do much of anything, and so everyone can dump on them. Sorry, not happening anymore. No more. Yeah, I'm with you. By the way, I never used to be a big part of the boycott crowd either. But I'll tell you what. Uh, once I saw how it hit Bud Light and the changes they made quickly, Target has now lost fifteen billion dollars in market value since they started this nonsense as well. Uh, and they've changed it. They've moved those displays either to the back of stores or they've taken them out altogether. Uh, it works. Uh, and you know, if this is what the left is going to do to us, sometimes we've got to stop saying we're above that and say, you know what, we're going to fight fire with fire. And uh, and so I've. I've I've joined on, and uh, if we can uh, if we can you know hit them in the pocketbook, and that's the only way to affect positive change, then that's what we got to do. Peter Kirsten, out great conversation as always, my friend. Thank you so much for all you do. We will talk to you again next week. Thanks, Bob. Take care. That's Kirsten out on AM fourteen. Answer it's ten fifty four. Wow, uh, a lot of stuff there. We'll take a quick time out. Try to come back before the top of the hour. And always right radio. Okay, we've got uh, just a couple of minutes here before the top of the hour. <clears throat> Put a cap on a couple of things and open up, open up some new doors for uh, hour number two. The, the, the point that needs to be made repetitively, repeatedly, I guess is better, uh, about the what the Dodgers are doing is the, and what the city of Solon is doing, if you didn't hear that part of the story a little bit earlier, um, is that this isn't about being pro-LGBTQ. That's not what the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence is. They have nothing to do, or at least they should have nothing to do, with quote-unquote Pride Month. As much of a problem as I have even acknowledging it is what it is. If you do acknowledge Pride Month, they have no part of it because it's not about being pro-anything. It's about being anti-something. It is about being anti um Catholics and Christians, anti-Christ, anti-people of faith, but but only of the Christian faith. Peter, Chris and I was correct. They would never do this to uh, to Islam. They would never do this to Judaism even. They would never do this to any other faith but Christians because we don't fight back. And that's just reality. People fight back on behalf of... Of Jews, people fight back against anti-Semitism, and rightfully so. People would fight back, and the Muslims fight back. Quite frankly, if you look at Charlie Hebdo in France, with with literal, you know, with uh, 
uh, literal violence, but but nobody on the Christian side will ever do anything except say, we'll pray for you. And they know that makes us targets. But this hate group, uh, this uh, Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, it's not about being pro-LGBT, and I hope nobody mistakes that. Solon, by the way, if you don't know that add-on, I told it at the top of the show, Solon has invited one of the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence to speak at their Pride Night event on Groom 24th. So they need to hear it as well. Coming up on news, we'll be back after this. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Final hour of the broadcast underway now, nine minutes past 11 o'clock. On this Tuesday, the sixth morning of the month of groom in the year of our Lord, 2023. It wasn't always the month of groom. It wasn't the month of groom. It was the month of June back when 156,000 troops crossed the English Channel and saved the world uh, in support of the 13,000 or so uh, airmen that dropped, uh, uh, paratroopers that dropped behind German lines in order to save the world. These were... These were superheroes. I apologize for the redundancy and the repetition of that term, but I can't think of a better one. You know, you, you look at the, the state of movies today, and what do they all show? The superhero genre is the biggest genre. There are more movies being made about superheroes in some way, shape, or form today than at probably any other time, and certainly um, more than any other genre now. There are more superhero movies than there are horror flicks, drama flicks, action flicks, although they cross over into action. But my point is, everybody loves a good superhero movie because how do they always end? The good guys save the world. There's some demonic force, some supernatural force that is going to destroy all of humanity, and the superheroes save the world from them. That's what happened in 1944. Not to su- suggest, of course, that there weren't immense sacrifices made in the years you know, prior to that in the war, but the offensive that led to the end of the threat started on June 6, 1944. And uh, we commemorate that as D-Day. And, uh, and these were superheroes, except for the fact that the bullets didn't bounce off of them. They couldn't fly. They didn't have superpowers other than guts, grit, determination, and a willingness to sacrifice for their fellow man. So we never, ever forget that. So joining me now, I want to talk a little bit more about that uh, to an extent. 
Uh, Peter Jenick is a uh, historian, he is an author, and um, he's got a unique story to tell, too, not only uh, about what happened in World War II, and uh, he uh, uh, is is commemorating that as well, particularly uh, as it pertains to the World War II uh, memorial in Washington, D.C., and in the Circle of Remembrance, the addition of the D-Day prayer. We had Chris Long on earlier to talk about that. The addition of the D-Day prayer, uh, the FDR, FDR's D-Day prayer to the uh, memorial is complete, and they're having a ceremony there now about it. Peter was there with us last year, as a matter of fact, when uh, uh, when I when I emceed kind of the pre-dedication dedication to the um, uh, uh, to the prayer or the addition of the prayer to the memorial. And uh, Peter's got a personal story to share as well. So, Peter Jenick, good to have you back on our program. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm doing great, Bob. Thank you so much for uh, that analogy. That was great. Uh, yeah. nice. That was nice. I was listening to Peter Kristinoff earlier. He's brought up the subject. Did a nice job covering it. Thank you, sir. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it's um, it's it's extraordinary that we don't spend more time talking about it. To be honest with you, uh, but it's it it doggone well better get its due on on you know the anniversary of uh, of the saving of the world. So. Uh, let's talk a little bit about this. You uh, got an article published uh, by Newsmax uh, in which you talked about World War II and about D-Day and about the memorial prayer. Tell us about that. Yeah, I can thank you for that, Bob. I heard on your program that you were, uh, you know, about this D-Day prayer project, and you were going to Washington, D.C., and I never did hear about it. You know, the, the mainstream media doesn't really cover it because, you know, as soon as they hear prayer, they kind of avoid it. That's true. Kind of sad. And... uh so I went with you, and I learned all about it, and I thought more people have to know about this. This is what Chris Long, basically what he did. He he heard uh, uh, Bill Frederer say in his program, the American Minute, that, uh, you know, the whole prayer, and he said, well, most people should know about this prayer. It's unbelievable that FDR would use a prayer to announce to the, to the country that these, you know, that the soldiers were going into, into Europe. The land, the land war was about to begin against Nazi Germany, you know. So uh, that's how I got involved with it, and so I thought I wanted more people to know about it, just like Chris Long did when he started this. So in, uh, I wrote a story for Newsmax, and they published it and gave it a nice little uh, piece. And uh, they gave it, plus they put some nice uh, uh, details about D-Day with it too. You saw it, so yeah. So thank I you. Did. Thank I'm you looking, for it. Yeah, I'm, I'm so, looking at it. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. It's um, uh, on your. Uh, it's on your Facebook page, and. Uh, uh, and it is. It's a very nice little spread, and they do have, uh, you know, Chris Long, a picture of Chris Long there in the Newsmax, mag- Newsmax magazine. Uh, and this is in the America Our Heritage section or segment of the of the uh, of the magazine. And so you just what you just contacted Newsmax and said, I want to submit something to you to make sure you know about it. And uh, and then just, they just said, Yeah, hey, we like it. We'll run it. Or how did that work out? Well, I, I don't want to spend too much time. A little background, but I, I originally on uh, Veterans Day last year when we went to to uh, to DC, I had actually sent him another story about my uncle Bruno, who had an interesting story. He was he was born on Veterans Day. He fought in two wars, ended up at a POW camp like my dad did, and uh, and they were going to use it, and then they didn't want, didn't use it because they didn't ran out of ran out of room. So at least that, that got that, so that story. I ended up putting the plane dealer, but then uh, that got me the end with Newsmax. So they got the, I got the note of the editor. So when I sent him this, he took a look at it. But I think that really helped me uh, oh, get okay. this on there. You know, Newsmax is kind of taking the place of Newsweek and Time. They, no one reads those magazines anymore. Yeah, well, there's good reason for that. And <laughs> they're they're replacing Fox on yeah. the on the cable news side too <laughs> in a lot of ways yeah. because of some right. of the decisions that are made. 
So, Pete, so I'm really glad that you did that. I'm glad you were able to get that published and to tell the story uh, of the uh, World War II prayer memorial that was put up and uh, uh, obviously the, the backstory of it with Chris Long. But you've got another story, and I wanted to ask you, this is one of the main reason I wanted to bring you on, too, is to talk about your other story, and that is the story of your dad. Um, we've, been, we've been kind of going back and forth and talking about how D-Day is June 6th, of course, but, uh, you know, in reality... You know, this campaign to take Europe and to take France back and essentially use that to to ultimately uh, get to to Germany and to save the world, as we continue to say, it really started on June 5th with the paratroopers. And uh, that's where your story comes in, or at least your dad's does. Why don't you tell us about it? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, uh, thanks for Peter Kirstenhoff for bringing that up about the paratroopers, you know. Uh, my dad... Here's the, here's the interesting. You know, he was 18, gets drafted out of high school, goes in the army, and he decides to become a paratrooper. You know why he became a paratrooper? No. Why? Any idea? No. Because they gave him an extra fifty dollars a month. Wow! Can you imagine that. Because uh, you know back then I don't even know what they paid the army guys, so he so he could send that money back to his uh, family. You know, for still getting through the depression, his mom and dad. So it's pretty amazing that they would even do that, and then they put they went through hell. He would never talk about it. I did. I, I mean, all the information, not most of the information I got was books about it. You know, these, what these guys went through. You know, and uh, like Peter was starting to talk about. Imagine what they, these guys had. Joe Chris jumping out of an airplane. How crazy is that? That's like uh, skydiving. Who wants to do that? You know, but they had to do it in the middle of the night. With 100 pounds of equipment on their back, a submachine gun, and all this other stuff they strapped on them. And when you land, you don't know where you're going to land. You can land on top of a house in a tree, you know. If you ever watched uh, The Longest Day, that movie, you've probably seen that, right, Bob? Yes. It's a great movie about that, and they showed the guys landed in uh, a church steeple, and the guys landed in trees, and they just shoot them while they're hanging there, you know. And, you know, you don't even know what's going to happen. So, whoever came up with that crazy idea, you got to give those guys a lot of credit, so... My dad didn't talk much about it. You know, I get bits and pieces, and I learned, I learned a lot about it reading books about it. So. It's just what those guys went through, and like Peter said, it's amazing. You know? So. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's heroism beyond uh, the definition of the word is what it is. <laughs> you know, it, like you talk about first being a paratrooper at all. Second of all, second of all, being a paratrooper, being asked to be dropped behind enemy lines and to take out as many of the machine gun nests as you can from behind so that the uh, the amphibious landing has a better chance of success. And then for that drop to go sideways and for so many of them to be, you know, misdropped uh, and the, the rally points were all you know, uh, you know, uh, in a shambles, if you will, nobody could find them. So everybody was kind of on their own. You know what we've learned from uh, through history of the paratroopers. They were all kind of on their own, and yet they sum up. Bill Federer tells the story better than anybody. It's unbelievable what some of them uh, went through. So the fact that your father was one of them, uh, you can claim to being related to a superhero. He's one of those who literally saved the world. Well, thank you, Bob. That's a pretty. Well, that's why I wrote this. That's why I got involved when I heard you guys. You know, you and Chris Long talking on the radio about this prayer project, D-Day. You know, my dad was there, so. And, you know, not enough. That's why Chris Long uh, went through all this trouble. He's a super, superhero. What he did to, to do this yeah. thing in 12 years and raise all this money and you know, yeah. get it through Congress and everything. And it's amazing what he did and to get it there and grant it so people could look at it and 
that's why I got involved. I wanted to tell people about it too, you know. So well, that's what uh, uh, that's why we had him on again, and uh, and you know, it's it's fantastic to think about it this way, Pete. And I really appreciate you coming on with us. Uh, seventy nine years from now, another seventy nine years from now, that memorial will still be there, and that prayer will still be there. And seventy nine years after that, God willing, this country continue to survive, especially in the face of all that is trying to destroy it right now. But God willing, future generations, uh, you know, in 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 perpetuity, will be able to read that prayer and know exactly how um, how heroic uh, those men were, those who who set out to sacrifice their own lives in in uh, in service to others, to literally save uh, not just the you know the people of of Europe, not just the Jews, not just uh, uh, you know a, a particular portion of the world, but literally this impacted the entire world and what they did should be known in the you know in the future of of history uh, and 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 it will because of those efforts. So I'm glad you. Yeah, you know what's great about. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, right on time. Go ahead, finish your thought. Oh, I was going to say, you know, what's great about that memorial is, like, we were there, like, when we were there, they were just starting to build it. There's people from all over the world and all over the country walked through there, you know, and they take school trips and school kids take our tours and everything. So that's what's, you know, this is a great idea. Put it, it's in granite. It's going to be there, you know. Yep, that's exactly it, and that's why it'll be there, like I said, in perpetuity for future generations to appreciate, and they better, and they should. Peter Janik, historian and author. Pete, thanks for uh, sharing your story, and thanks for getting that out to Newsmax so that more people around, <clears throat> excuse me, more people around the country know exactly what was done, and uh, that that prayer memorial, or excuse me, that prayer added to the memorial uh, originated right here in Northeast Ohio with Chris Long and uh, and a cast of others who uh, who did some incredible work. Thank you, Pete. We appreciate it. Well, thank you, Bob. It wasn't for you and WHK. Well, we all do our part to get it out there as much as we can, and uh, that's that's uh, that's that's the name of the game is working together. Uh, it's ten twenty one. We'll take a t- or excuse me eleven twenty one. We'll take a time out here. We'll come right back. Always right radio on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Okay, it's 1125. Thanks so much for being with us on this Tuesday. If you missed uh, conversations we had earlier on, great conversation with Chris Long, really commemorating uh, the uh, um, World War II Memorial. I should say that's commemorating a commemoration. That's not right. Uh, But uh, giving us uh, the lowdown of the ceremony today, uh, the dedication, the official dedication of the uh, World War II Memorial D-Day Prayer Edition that was... uh, uh, that was put together by Chris and his team. And Bill Federer uh, was a huge part of that. Uh, Congressman uh, Johnson uh, was the sponsor on the House side. Uh, former Senator Rob Portman was the sponsor on the Senate side, and they all did some tremendous work in getting this thing done. So uh, we had Chris Long on, and he reminded us of exactly what it is and why we did it and why they did it. I shouldn't take any credit. I was just asked to be the MC, <clears throat> and I was very uh, honored to do so. But uh, we had Chris Long on. If you missed that conversation, you should hear it. It's at uh, whkradio.com, or it will be about an hour after the show. You can listen to that. And then we had a great conversation with Peter Kersenow, also talking about D-Day, but also talking about the ongoing culture war. There's a different war now. That was a world war. This is a culture war. And I want to spotlight another voice in the culture war. Earlier on, yesterday, in fact, and earlier on today, I played you clips from Megyn Kelly who says, I'm a woman, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to finally start 
acting like what we should we should have been acting like all along. And that is that we are going to support reality and our womanhood. We're not going to sacrifice it to the uh, to the uh, woke political correctness that has taken over. She said she used to use the preferred pronouns of people. She thought it was no big deal. She didn't think there was any harm. And then she found out there was. The light bulb came on for her. And I played you a clip of her yesterday, and I played you a clip of her today. I want to spotlight another woman now as we head to our bottom of the hour break. This is Harris Faulkner. Now, she works for Fox, so that might kind of turn you off just a little bit. But it's not her fault what Fox did and has done, and she is certainly not to blame for any of their uh, uh, their kind of wokeness and some of the things that they've done. Harris Faulkner is a proud black woman who made a statement on her program yesterday that I think is worth our time, and it's worth listening to. It's only a minute and a half. Actually, it's a little bit less than that now. It's about a minute long, and I want you to hear what she said again. This is women finding their voices in defense of womanhood, in defense of real women and in opposition to the woman face that so many men are wearing now. Uh, They're tired of it, and the time to stand up is now. Listen. Let's try that one more time here. Harris Faulkner from yesterday on her show. Add to it, our own citizens are breaking us. And if you are an independent or conservative, look at the quieting you have suffered in social media alone. A billionaire had to take over Twitter to wrest it from the hands of liberals employed by corporate liberals who hate you. And women and children are being redesigned by some sort of mad leftist science experiment. It's as though people on the left have more free time than anybody else. They want to acronym and pronoun us to death. We'll know this. The Lord has determined I am a woman, and my pronouns are U-S-A. Our nation's soul is at stake. And we really only have a couple of choices, three, really. We can be bad at protecting the greatest nation on the earth. We can be average at protecting the greatest nation on the earth. Or we can be elite at protecting the greatest nation on earth. We know who we are. And we know whose we are. I just found great inspiration in in that, as much as I did in the Megyn Kelly clip that I played for you earlier this morning. They want to acronym and pronoun us to death. Well, know this. The Lord has determined that I am a woman and my pronouns are U-S-A. Harris Faulkner, continuing. This, this new movement of people pushing back against the wokeism and pushing back against the attempt to erase womanhood from our society. Literally erase it. Thank you to Harris Faulkner. We'll be back after the news. Spreading the light of liberty and holding the line against the darkness of tyranny. Always write radio with Bob France and the answer. Okay, 11.33. I just want you to know we're going to close the show the way I have, well, pretty much every year for the last several. I can't even remember how long I've been doing it that way on June 6th, whenever uh, D-Day falls on a weekday. And as long as I've been on the air, I've been closing the show or finding a spot anyway for FDR's actual prayer that he read to the United States of America um, as the invasion had begun. And so I'm going to make sure we do that before we're done here. So if you've never heard President Roosevelt's D-Day prayer uh, 
actually read by the president. And maybe you've seen it. Maybe you saw it at the memorial ceremony. Maybe you saw it in, 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 at the memorial, I should say, in D.C. Uh, but if you've never heard it, um, you're going to want to keep listening because um, you're going to hear the you're going to hear the real heart and soul of a country come through his voice as he told the country what was going on at that moment. So you can't miss this. You can't, shouldn't, there shouldn't even be a D-Day commemoration without this. And I'll make sure to give it to you in just a couple of minutes. Uh, TJ's in Cleveland. TJ, you're on AM 1420 The Answer. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, you know, Bob, today we honor, you know, the men that stormed the beaches and the paratroopers behind lines. Yeah. But there's one unit nobody ever talks about, uh, the Glider Corps back then. Uh, the Glider Corps, they loaded these gliders up with soldiers and equipment, and they uh, dropped them behind enemy lines also on, on June 5th. And a lot... A lot of casualties. You know, the things crashed when they were landing and stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, I just wanted to take this time to to highlight them also. And uh, another thing I found interesting when they were talking about uh, your your guest there, the father got an extra fifty five dollars a month jump pay, and that was in the forties. I graduated from jump school at Fort Benning in nineteen sixty six, and the jump pay was still only fifty five dollars a month. Wow! Are you kidding? So, no, I'm not kidding. <laughs> not and even a, a not even a, not even a cost of living increase or no, cost of surviving no. the jumps increase in pay. <laughs> no, and and I, I'd be a little curious to see what it is today. I'll bet it isn't much more, you know. But uh, yeah, I found that kind of interesting because fifty five dollars a month in the early forties was a lot different than $55 a month in 1966. Yeah, yeah, I would imagine so. And I wonder what it is today. Hopefully it has actually increased along with the, the inflation of everything else, but I wouldn't hold my breath. TJ, thank you, my friend. God bless. Appreciate your call. Uh, Sally is in Berea next. Hi, Sally. Go right ahead. Hi, Bob. We're thankful for the DD Prayer Memorial and all the efforts to get it. As a family with a World War II veteran, we appreciate the sacrifices of our forefathers and their families. I think today we need to remember the lessons that World War II portends as to the importance of being vigilant and, pres- and the present affairs in Europe and Taiwan. We can't bury our heads in the, ap- the apathy of appeasement like many did prior to World War II. Our survival, de- survival depends on it. And thanks for your support of the Memorial to Bob. Well, thank you, Sally. God bless. And yes, it does depend on it. It it does. The you know it's funny. I I transitioned from the um, World War II memorial a few minutes ago and into the culture war of today. There is also still real battleground war going on as well, and there is a very legitimate potential threat of a of a much larger battle, a, a battleground war front. Uh, coming because of what she just said, because of Taiwan, because of China's collaboration with Russia, the fact that Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin got together and uh, discussed their mutual enemy, the United States. Do not think for a second that uh, we couldn't be drawn back into something. God forbid it ever happen, because I don't know how we would be prepared for it. All right, as promised, I want to close today's show in uh, recognition of D-Day, in recognition of the fallen and those who put their lives on the line to literally save the world. This is FDR, June 6, 1944. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States. My fellow Americans, last night when I spoke with you about the fall of Rome, I knew at that moment that troops of the United States and our allies were crossing the channel in another and greater operation. 
It has come to pass with success thus far. And so, in this poignant hour, I ask you to join with me in prayer. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. Lead them straight and true. Give strength to their arms, stoutness to their hearts, steadfastness in their faith. They will need thy blessings. Their road will be long and hard. For the enemy is strong. He may hurl back our forces. Success may not come with rushing speed, but we shall return again and again. And we know that by thy grace and by the righteousness of our cause, our sons will triumph. They will be sore tried by night and by day, without rest, until the victory is won. The darkness will be rent by noise and flame. Men's souls will be shaken with the violences of war. For these men are lately drawn from the ways of peace. They fight not for the lust of conquest. They fight to end conquest. They fight to liberate. They fight to let justice arise and tolerance and goodwill among all thy people. They yearn but for the end of battle, for their return to the haven of home. Some will never return. Embrace these, Father, and receive them, thy heroic servants, into thy kingdom. And for us at home, fathers, mothers, children, wives, sisters, and brothers of brave men overseas, whose thoughts and prayers are ever with them, help us, Almighty God, to rededicate ourselves in renewed faith in Thee in this hour of great sacrifice. Many people have urged that I call the nation into a single day of special prayer. But because the road is long and the desire is great, I ask that our people devote themselves in a continuance of prayer as we rise to each new day and again when each day is spent let words of prayer be on our lips invoking thy help to our efforts give us strength too strengthen our daily tasks 
to redouble the contributions we make in the physical and the material support of our armed forces. And let our hearts be stout to wait out the long travel, to bear sorrows that may come, to impart our courage unto our sons, wheresoever they may be. And, O Lord, give us faith. Give us faith in thee, faith in our sons, faith in each other, faith in our united crusade. Let not the keenness of our spirit ever be dulled. Let not the impacts of temporary events, of temporal matters of but fleeting moment, let not these deter us in our unconquerable purpose. With thy blessing, we shall prevail over the unholy forces of our enemy. Help us to conquer the apostles of greed and racial arrogances. Lead us to the saving of our country and with our sister nations into a world unity that will spell a sure peace, a peace invulnerable to the schemings of unworthy men and a peace that will let all men live in freedom, reaping the just rewards of their honest toil. Thy will be done, almighty God. Amen. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.